Well, hello and welcome to Epic. My name is Tim Jones. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and we are so glad that you're here with us today. If you are joining us online, thank you so much for tuning in today, and we are so glad that you have joined us. Um, Today, we are concluding our series called Soul Care, and uh, in this series, we have been learning how to take care of the deepest part of our lives, or what Jesus referred to is our souls. And so uh, the biggest question that we have been answering is this question, the question of how is your soul doing, or how are you doing at the core of your being? And so during this series, we've explored different aspects of our soul. Uh, We've explored the weary soul, the anxious soul, Uh, the distracted soul, and the angry soul. And uh, if you miss any part of the series, I highly recommend that you go back and listen or watch it from our website at theepicchurch.com. Now today, we are going to talk about the lost soul. But before we do, uh, I want you to think about answering this question in your mind, okay? And the question is this, have you ever lost something important to you? And seeing that it's Valentine's Day, it's my opportunity to tell you how much I love my wife, Sarah, okay? It's also, yeah, yeah, it's also an opportunity for those of you uh, to remember what day it is. And judging by some of your faces, you're like, thank you, you know, uh, for that hint, okay? It wasn't obvious at all, but thank you so much, or I would have been in trouble today. There's still some cards left, okay? Uh, So um, about 13 years ago, uh, Sarah and I lived in Atlanta, and we were moving from our apartment to our first time uh, being homeowners, and we were gathering up all this trash from our apartment and piling it into my truck and taking it down to the community uh, trash compactor. And so we got back and we were going to take a little bit of a break. And all of a sudden I hear Sarah from uh, one part of the apartment saying, oh no. And I go, what's wrong? And she said, I can't find my wedding rings. I'm like, oh, that's not good. Are you sure? And she's like, I'm sure. So we scoured the entire apartment and she goes, I think I threw them in one of the garbage bags. I'm like, So we rush into my truck and we go down to this trash compactor. Now you've got to understand, they only had like one huge trash compactor for the entire apartment complex. And so this thing was like massive. It had like this funnel where everybody threw their trash in and it went down into this one part and then it would compact it into this uh, super duper component that would break off onto a truck. I mean, this thing was, yeah, beyond trash like amazing, okay? And so we get there, and sure enough, there's already fresh garbage bags on top of our garbage bags. So I go in, okay? And I start to go through the trash, and I am throwing our bags out to Sarah. Sarah's going through them, trying to look for her rings and everything. And as I'm doing that, I start to all of a sudden sink, into this trash compactor. Yeah, you know, if you've seen Star Wars, yeah, there was a garbage monster and everything in there, okay? And so I'm starting to sink into this trash, okay? And I go to take another step and I slip and I start to fall backwards. I'm not going to the side, okay? I'm not going this side. This foot is caught and I'm going backwards and there is nothing that I can do except to put my hands out like this. Okay, so I'm thinking as soon as I hit this garbage, I am going to spring up as fast as I can. 
okay? So I fall back, and all of a sudden I go to push up, and I'll never forget this. In that moment, you know, there's nothing solid to push against. This hand grips to push up, and it comes into contact with a used diaper, okay? I kid you not, all right? And so I push myself up, and I yell out the word crap. I really did, okay? If you don't believe me, it wasn't the other word, you can ask Sarah because she said the entire apartment complex can testify that's the word that you use. She said, I thought you were going there, but you did not. So, <clears throat> and so I'm up and I'm covered in trash at that point and I've found all the bags that we can like find. And I'm looking at Sarah and I see like hopelessness starting to come across her face. And all of a sudden, I'll never forget this. In that moment, all of a sudden she's like, oh, I remember where they're at. And I'm like, <laughs> let's go. And so we race off to our apartment, but I'm throwing the trash bags back into our truck because I'm like, just in case, babe, just in case, all right? And so I don't care if it's getting all messy and everything, just in case, all right? And so we go on back to the apartment and instead of the place that she normally puts them, she put them in a different spot, and they were there. Whew, awesome, okay? Now, if it wasn't for Sarah, I wouldn't do that for just anybody, okay? <clears throat> and, you know, isn't that what we do for the ones that we love, you know? Isn't that what we do when we lose something that is so important to us? You know, aren't we willing to make those sacrifices for those that we love? We're willing to do just about anything. Kind of reminds me of that song back in the 90s that Brian Adams sung uh, for Robin Hood, the movie. You remember the lines? Here's some of the lines from that song. You know it's true, everything I do. You know, he has that real raspy voice. So I thought it would be appropriate since it's Valentine's Day, you look at the person you came with, and we're going to sing this to them, all right? So on the count of three, hey, get the raspiness ready, all right? We're going there. Yeah, we are. So on the count of three, one, two, three. You know it's true, everything I do, I do it for. Oh, man, that was beautiful. See, you thought you would never get serenaded. Yeah, in a service. You just did. And some of you, you just met your future husband or your future wife. You can thank me later. You can name them after me. Um, and some of you are like, I'm never coming back to this church, okay? So now, on the other hand, if we get real honest, we wouldn't do just about anything for anyone, okay? Think about the person that you don't like. Now, don't look at them, okay? You just ruined that moment, that beautiful moment that we just had. Somebody, don't do that, okay? All right. So, you know, when we think about people that we don't like, we wouldn't do just anything for them. In fact, um, we wouldn't do things for people who are not like us. And today, we're going to look at this man of God who spoke on the behalf of God, and we would think, surely, this man would do any, anything for people who were not like him at all. And so today, we're going to check out his story, and it just might surprise you. So if you would, in your Bibles or on your smartphone device, if you would turn to Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. It's kind of a tricky book to find. It's in the end of the Old Testament, um, and so you might want to use your table of contents. But if you don't own a Bible, always feel free to uh, grab one from the back as our free gift to you, or download the U version Bible app. That's Y O U. 
version Bible app for free as well. It's always good to have a hard copy, and it's good to have one um, on your phone as well. <clears throat> but go ahead and turn to Jonah chapter 1-1. We've got a lot of ground to cover. It's four chapters. It's four short chapters, but we're going to squeeze it in. So hold on tight, but I'll give you a moment to get there. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now, as you turn there, maybe uh, you're familiar with Jonah's story, but maybe you're not familiar with some really cool things about uh, this story that you did not know or this account. Okay, we know from historical events and documents that Jonah, he was like a pro-prophet, okay? He was a professional um, who spoke on God's behalf. And he hung out with some other prophets as well. And so the really cool thing is sometimes these prophets would act on their own. Sometimes they would act as a group together. If you lived back then, you could easily go up and fact check them to make sure what one was saying lined up with what the other one was saying. And also what that person just said, did that really happen? And you can do that today. So if you're like the real skeptic type person or the journalist uh, type person, today you can look at what they said back then where it was written and compare it to history, a separate account, and look at the two documents together and see if they line up, which is awesome. So remember, Jonah is not a newbie, okay? He has been around the corner. So if there was someone who knew God, it was Jonah. If there was someone who could trust God, it was Jonah. And so let's see how Jonah responds to this new assignment from God. So starting in Jonah 1.1, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, where the Assyrians were. It was like their capital city. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the, what's that word? Opposite. Yeah, you read that correctly. Opposite direction. So Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord, and he went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish, which from Nineveh to Tarshish was 2,500 miles away. Nineveh is over in the Middle East. Tarshish is over in Spain. And so he was running to pretty much the end of the world at that time. Now, what just happened, okay? Why would he do this? A man after God's heart, a prophet who spoke on his behalf? Um, well, if you've studied ancient Near History, you know that the Assyrians were some of the most cruelest people, most violent people, uh, not only during that day, but in all of human history, really. And so if they conquered you as a people, they would walk around on the battlefield gloating over the dead. And if they found you alive, they would chop off your legs, chop off one arm, and they would shake your hand while you slowly died. They also did some other cruel things. Um, they would take the women and children of those who had survived, and they would chop off the heads of the men, and they would put them on poles, and they would make your children and your wives march around in a parade carrying their heads. Okay? To make matters even worse, they were really good at taking a person and skinning them alive. And they would put a person into the sand, buried up to their neck, feel how painful that would be, and watch you slowly have a painful death. And if you were a child or an adolescent, they would burn you alive in front of your remaining parents. And so 
Uh, I won't go into any more details I could. That's actually some of the tame ones uh, from recorded history with the Assyrians. And so um, <clears throat> the Assyrians were Israel's enemy, and no prophet of Israel had ever been called to go to them and tell them to turn from their evil ways. So Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with them. In fact, why would God give these people even a chance to turn from their evil ways? Why would God even extend any form of mercy to them? They should never be invited to the table, okay? So in Jonah's mind, he couldn't see any good reason to follow God's command. So he ran. So picking up in verse 3b, Jonah bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled, and that word gives the, sen uh, that word gives the sense of throwing an object and being very good at and very precise and so this was some kind of storm that he hurled. The Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. So basically, Jonah can run, but God is not going to let him go. Now, don't misunderstand this, okay? Let me clarify something. The Bible does not say that every difficulty that we experience is a result of sin. But it does teach that every sin brings you into difficulty, okay? It's like this. Uh, we can't just eat anything we want and not be healthy and expect to be healthy, okay? Or we can uh, not just like treat people wrong and expect to maintain a good relationship with them. Or we can't look out for our own interests and expect to find common ground or common uh, interests with them. And so, if we sin, we are violating our design, and it has consequences, okay? But sometimes God uses storms to get our attention. So verse 5, fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. Now, you know when sailors aren't swearing, but they're praying, we're in trouble, okay? Because you know some sailors, all right? <clears throat> and so here they are. Think about this. You know, these guys, they have been sailors all their life. They have seen tons of storms, been through tons of storms, especially if they're sailing to, like, the most outer part of the world at this point in, in history. And so they know this storm is different. And they are praying to their gods, and they are starting to throw their precious cargo, their livelihood into the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. And they are doing everything they can to save everyone, including Jonah. Okay? But where's Jonah? Well, let's find out, picking up in verse 5. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was praying and begging God to save these lost sailors' lives. They were lost. No, it doesn't say that. Okay, you're right. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. He was hiding. He was trying to escape his current reality. He knew he was on the run. Okay, He knew he didn't want to talk to people about God because of... They were racially different. They were politically different 
than him. He knew he didn't want to talk to people because they had different beliefs and different values. He didn't want them to come to God, okay? They were nothing like him. They were in the wrong. They deserved judgment. They were lost, you know, and he was angry and he was upset and he thought he was right and God was wrong. Now, how do we know this? Well, later on near the end, it's going to be clear we know how ugly it is in Jonah that he gets, okay? Now, don't answer this out loud, okay? But doesn't this sound familiar? Wasn't our past year a year of quite a bit of a storm? You know? It got pretty ugly. And if we're honest, it got pretty ugly in ourselves as well. Weren't there people that we did not want to speak to who were politically or racially different than us? Weren't there people that we didn't want to speak to because they had different values or different beliefs? Didn't they make us angry? Didn't they make us like get upset and tired of being around them? And didn't we say to ourselves that they deserve it or deserve judgment? You know? Now, maybe we didn't go hide and like fall asleep to escape our reality, but didn't we like cut people off on social media? Didn't we stop like allowing their feed to be in our main feed? Or maybe we unfriended them? Or maybe we stopped speaking to them and just remained quiet? Or when they came around, we kind of just exited because we didn't want to come face to face with them? Isn't that what we did in some form or some fashion this past year? Didn't we contribute at some level to some of the ugliness? So before you throw me overboard, let's continue on, okay? Verse 6. So the captain of the ship went down after Jonah. He says, how can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up. Interesting word choice. Did you catch that? He said, get up. And those are the same words that God said at the beginning of this account to Jonah. God said and whispered into his heart, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. So here's God who's trying to work to get Jonah back on track. Okay, And now, isn't it ironic, God is using a Gentile, a person who is not Jewish, to point Jonah back to God when he was asked to go to those who were lost and point them to God. And so the captain shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. So these sailors, they continue to try to save everyone, and they try everything. Verse 7, then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Now, as realized, as soon as that happened, I mean, normally they would just throw him overboard in that culture. But they didn't. Instead, they slow down and they start to ask him questions. And here's the question they start to ask him. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. 
Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? They want to know what God is Jonah linked to. That's what they're looking for. And Jonah knows that, but he answers them this. He says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. Isn't it interesting when he answers them, Jonah answers their last question first, okay? He gives them his nationality first instead of declaring his allegiance to God first. And we'll see that and how that plays out. Verse 10, the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? And I think here we begin to see Jonah his heart begins to change, sort of, but yet we know it's not totally pure because we'll see some other stuff later on. But I think he starts to have a little bit of compassion for these Gentile sailors who were nothing like him, and they were doing everything they could to save everyone, including him. And he thought, my time has come, so God, you do what you're going to do to me. I know I'm guilty. And so he responds like this in verse 12. Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. But these guys, again, they don't give up on him. Watch what they do. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. And so they had like no options left. Last resort. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God, O oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Like, that's interesting, for good. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. And the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power. And they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. And so here's these sailors who put their faith in God that day because they saw God's unbelievable power, but they also saw one man who was willing to sacrifice his life to some extent for the lives of others. And they saw that displayed in them and they could not get over it. When it says they vowed to serve him, that means the rest of their day. So we know they put their faith in God. Now we're not done yet. Let's continue. And let me kind of give you a summary of the next two chapters here and what happens next. So Jonah uh, chapter one, verse 17. Now the Lord had, and what's that word? Arranged, yep. Arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, let me tell you, when Jesus was here on earth, he referenced this account, this point in history, often. And he had no problem with saying that Jonah was in a fish for three days and three nights, okay? And uh, eventually, Jesus died on the cross, and hundreds of people saw him come back to life from the dead. And he predicted his death, and then he came back to life. He said, I'm going to be dead for three days, and I'm going to come back to life. So if a man can predict his death, 
and come back to life and hundreds saw it, I just go with the man who thinks that this fish story really did happen, okay? No question in my mind about God's power. So <clears throat> while Jonah's in the fish, he, you'll see in chapter two, he has this amazing prayer. Um, and in that prayer, at one point, he gets to the point of, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but he, it's not to get out of the fish. It's like, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And he thinks his life is over. Then all of a sudden the fish spits him up and he's on dry land and Jonah is asked to go to Nineveh again. So Jonah chapter three, verse three, we're picking up there, three, three. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, uh, the city of the Assyrians, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And he did that for three days. And the people of Nineveh believed, believed God's message. From the greatest, even the king, when you read this chapter, the king did some amazing things. From the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. And so the people turned from their evil ways. Now, they didn't become God followers in that moment. Instead, they realized, we are heading in this direction. We know we are violent, and we know we've got to change our ways. And so, God, thank you for bringing that to our attention, and we are going to shift. We are going to repent. We are going to change our behavior and head. Instead, in this direction, we're sorry. Please forgive us. Now, this is unbelievable what happens. God accepts, he accepts their call to repentance and gives them mercy. Now, some historians think about this time, some of the things that were happening to make this people group do that is that Assyria had experienced a series of famines and plagues and revolts and some eclipses during Jonah's time in history. You can read that over here and then compare it to scripture. And so they saw that as bad omens and they thought something worse is to come. And so some have reasoned that this was God's way of preparing these people's hearts. Okay, But whatever the reason was, okay, it happened and the Assyrians listened. Now, we would think that Jonah would be thrilled to death. Mercy has been given. They have turned from their ways, you know. But Jonah has not hit rock bottom yet. And he has a hatred for the Assyrians that we're about to see. And although he obeyed God, okay, he was determined to make this point with God. So let's see in chapter 4, verse 1. This change of plans that God gave mercy and said greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Now, when we look at that, we're like, man, Jonah, what is going on in you? But this is the depth 
of the issue in his soul. Okay? Jonah wanted the Assyrians destroyed and not forgiven because he believed God had made so many promises to make the nation of Israel great and to bless all nations. And so how could God allow at the same time for mercy to be shown to his people's enemies? How could a God of justice allow such evil and such violence to go unpunished? So in Jonah's mind, it was impossible to reach these horrible people. They were lost. And I love what God does next. Verse 4, and I think he whispered this. The Lord replied, Is it right for you, Jonah, to be angry about this? This meaning the mercy that was shown? Didn't God show mercy to Jonah as he ran? Didn't God show mercy to the type of crew that was on board that ship that day? Didn't God show mercy to Jonah with arranging a fish to snag him up instead of dying? Didn't God show mercy to Jonah for him not being digested in a fish? Didn't God show Jonah mercy when he showed up on the steps of his enemy instead of being killed in an instant? The people's hearts were ready to repent, to change, to go in a new direction. So we would think that Jonah would be like, God, you're right, okay? And I'm going into this city, and I'm going to teach people about you, and I'm going to see them put their faith and trust in you because you are amazing. You are great. But nope, that's not what he does, okay? <clears throat> and so verse 5 then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. Because at some point, these people are going to do evil, and he's going to show God, see, I showed you, okay? And the Lord God, what's that word? Arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. And he's probably thinking, finally, something's going my way, you know? But God continued to pursue Jonah. But God also, and what's that word? Arranged for a worm. And the next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as soon as the sun grew hot, God, what's that word? For a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah, the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed, but God did not give up on Jonah. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. And then... God reveals something so amazing. And I don't want you to miss this. I want you to lean in. And I want you to listen to the very words that God says to him. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing 
to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. In essence, God is saying, Jonah, you had compassion for this plant. Like, you wept over it, Jonah. Like, your heart became attached to it. And when it died, you wept. You had compassion. But Jonah, my compassion, my love is for people. Jonah, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people, that's probably just the men alone counted, living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Basically, God is saying this, Jonah, I know the Assyrians are evil, but they are spiritually blind. They are living in darkness. They are lost. And they don't have any way to knowing what is the right way out of the things that have caused them to be in the messes that they are in. And yes, it is so much easier for us to say things like, you know, serves them right, or that's what they get for believing that way. Oh, I'll just tune them out. It doesn't matter. But God says, Jonah, I am weeping and grieving for this city. Why aren't you? And then there's silence. And that's how this book ends. But it's a question that's posed to us as well. It's a question that we need to ask of ourselves. God is saying, I am weeping and I am grieving for this nation. Why aren't you? God has gone to great extents to never give up on us. God never gave up on Jonah. God never gave up on the Assyrians. God has never given up on you. Now I know a lot has happened this past year, but people still need to know that God is pursuing them. God is pursuing Democrats. God is pursuing Republicans. God is pursuing black people. God is pursuing white people. God is pursuing Asians, Latinos, all the peoples of this world. Why aren't we? Did we get caught up and start to run away from those who were nothing like us. Now, I know some things have kind of quieted down, but what's going on in our souls? Are we still holding on to something against someone else? It's only at the end that we saw this stuff come up from Jonah, that we saw this anger, we saw this resentment. What will happen to you next? Because something is going to happen this year. 
with someone you disagree with. So God's heart, it's full of mercy. It's full of compassion and love. And God pursues everyone. He invites everyone to the table through his son, Jesus, whom he sent to forgive us of our sins when we put our faith and trust in his death and resurrection. So during this series, we've been checking our souls. We've been asking, how is your soul doing? More specifically today, how is your soul doing for those who are lost? How is your soul doing for those who sit across the political aisle? How is your soul doing with those who are racially different than you, but come from the same maker? How is your soul doing with those who don't believe as you do, who don't value what you do? How is your soul doing for the lost? And does your heart break as God's heart breaks for everyone? That's what we need to wrestle with. That should be our heartbeat. So here's what we're going to do today. Today, if you are a Christ follower, and as I've spoken today, you've sent some ugliness in your soul around what we've talked about today, we're going to have a time where we're going to examine our hearts, where we're going to repent. We're going to stop heading in this direction and stop running in this direction, and we're going to ask for forgiveness, and we're going to turn in God's way of doing things. And when we do that, and when we ask him, God, would you forgive us for that? you will find forgiveness, and he will forgive you. And then we're going to have a time of celebration as well of what God's been doing in our souls and in this series as well. Now, if you are a Christ follower and there's just like, hey, I'm really not finding that type of stuff in my heart, then would you just simply commit your ways and say, God, grow me in loving people more and reaching out to everyone? Now, others of you, you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you know God has been pursuing you. It feels like he has been arranging things, the messages you've been hearing, the words that have been echoed in your life, the people that you have come across. You know there's an intentionality, and it is beyond you. Well, I hope you listen today, and I hope that you understand that today, in a moment, you can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and make him your Lord and Savior, just like those sailors did. And you can live your life knowing that God is for you and you're part of his family. And he is inviting everyone, everyone, to the table. And so... Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have an extended time of prayer. We normally don't do that, but we're going to do that. And I will lead you during this extended time of prayer. And then at the end of that, 
like I said, we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate with the band. They have this amazing song, and I want us to stand at that song and sing that song to him and sing that song for all that he has done during this series to address our souls, to say, how is your soul doing? And he's done it in such a personal way. So that's where we're heading. So join me in prayer. Father, we come to you right now, and we're so thankful that you are God of mercy, of compassion, and love. None of us have chased after you, but you have pursued all of us. And so in this moment, God, as we look at our souls, how are we doing? Speak to our hearts. Lord, show us how we have not been concerned with those who are lost. We've been trying to make points rather than showing people love. So in this segment of our time, as you sit there, would you simply confess to God, God, I am sorry because I know I have done this and this against this person or that person or anyone that you bring to my mind. So God, would you right now bring to mind those that we have done wrong to? And this time, would you just say, God, would you forgive me? Forgive me for running in the wrong direction. And when you did, you were forgiven from him. And would you commit now to saying, God, I commit my ways and my life to going after Everyone, give me a heart that breaks like yours. And may I not get stuck in the things of this world, but with the things that you care deeply about for the people that are in our lives. And would you use this time to thank him? To say, thank you, God, for revealing these things. Revealing the depth of my soul that needed to be addressed. And I will praise you with this song. And if you're someone who has never put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior... And today, you're ready to come to the table. Would you simply say this to him in your prayer to him right now? Just say, Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, 
Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Would you be my Lord and Savior? Thank you for coming back to life from the dead. To show me and to show everyone who saw you that you are God in the flesh. Thank you for saving me through your sacrifice for all. And so let us close our time of prayer. Let us prepare to celebrate whatever he has done in your heart, whatever he has done in your life. Let us sing to him. Let us praise him through this song. And so if you would, let's stand to our feet and let's get ready to celebrate our God.